Hello and welcome to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Ada McCullen is a transformational consultant and adjunct professor at Trinity College Dublin, where he runs a module called Emerging Trends and Technologies. He is host and founder of the podcast Global Innovation Show. McCullen exemplifies the permanent reinvention mindset, reinventing himself after an international career in professional rugby, then becoming one of the top innovators in digital media in the world. Author of the book Undisruptible, a, uh, a mindset of permanent reinvention. Welcome, Ada McCullen. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you about S curves because I discovered that one of the root causes of uh, employee motivation in my business was not looking after the S curve, just assuming I'm paying them to do a job and they should just do it. Mistake. <laughs> so you go, you do a deep dive into S curves. In fact, perhaps tell us, uh, explain to uh, the listeners what an S curve is uh, in terms of the life cycle of either a product or a business or an employee. So S curves, firstly, they were made popular in the 1960s by a guy called Everett Rogers in his book, The Diffusion of Innovations, which is a brilliant read. It's a tough read, it's very academic but a great book that's more relevant today than it probably was then. And he introduced this idea of the sigmoid curve, horrible term, it's a mathematical term. But what it is, is if you picture in your mind, the shape of an S, the, the letter S kind of stretched out a little bit like a long windy road. And the shape of the S, it's, it, it's used as a heuristic or a mental model, a heuristic is just a mental shortcut to map any product lifecycle, learning curve, or the arc of life itself, if you want to. And it starts with this slow, plateaued beginning, then a rapid rise as you climb up the S, and then you get to this top of another plateau, and ultimately, and it's not often shown in the S curve, but it starts to decline, so it goes downwards. And I love to break it into six phases rather than three, and the reason being, that the, there's an emphasis on the sixth, as you know, Nina. Absolutely, because um, up until I read your book, uh, Undisruptible, I thought it was really just growth, scale and maturity. But you uh, now make the distinction and, and discover six phases. So tell us about the first phase, please, Aidan. So, yeah, so phase, phase one, it's interesting. Um, people don't look at the fact that oftentimes you don't even get to phase one. So sometimes you between a range of things like fear, you know, let's put it in context for somebody. So I want to change careers or I want job mobility within the career I'm in. I want to go to a different role. Sometimes people will go, oh, I'm not qualified for that. Or 
oh no, that feels uncomfortable or scary to me. And that's totally natural for people to feel that. But when you do that, you're denying yourself growth and you will decline, you will plateau. It's inevitable in life itself. So if you do get to a point of actually going, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. You get into that role. You're lucky to get job mobility within the organization you're in or go to a new growth curve. It might be taking up a piano. It might be introducing a new product into the marketplace. You start at phase one, which is introductory phase. So this is where you start to get all your information together. You start to gather ideas. You start to fumble around and maybe get a minimal viable product if it's a product. It's you going to that first piano lesson. It's you in the first 90 days or 100 days in your role, figuring things out. It's an uncomfortable phase, but that's phase one. And also, if as far as a manager is concerned, they're having to put up with training a new hire and and they're not actually being productive yet. So they want them to become as productive ASAP, but you do have to invest time and allow people to get to know their role before they can become productive. So it, it applies in so many areas, doesn't it, Aidan? Absolutely. And the thing for the manager to realize is there's a beautiful saying by the great Buckminster Fuller that there's nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. So it's useful mental model to keep in mind to go, I, I have to put this time in now to invest in this person because they need it. They need the support. Also, me as a manager, it actually elevates me to being a leader because what I'm doing here is building trust with them. I'm showing them that I care. I'm showing them that I, I can empathize with them and know the, the initial S-curve they're going through and, and empathize with the difficulty and the fear and all the setbacks and obstacles they, they're going to have to overcome. It's kind of like, you know, I was thinking about this the other day teaching my kids to empty the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, so, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's way quicker to do it myself. Right. And I would, I, sometimes I'm like, going, I need the job done, do the job. And I'm going, come on, let me show you. And, you know, I'm showing them, you know, you know, the way in dishwashers and it's so annoying where the water gathers even, and you're like, oh no, what am I paying you for a dishwasher? <laughs> and, and there's water and you have to take out your, your, your towel and start wiping the top your tea towel and i'm showing the kids this and showing them what to do and showing them how you know plastics gather water so you have to wipe them a little bit after being in the dishwasher sometimes it gathers on the top of the cups whatever it is and it's slow but what i'm doing is being a good parent or a leading parent where i'm actually showing them skills that are going to help them in the future so eventually i don't have to show them and if i still have to show them a few months later, that's my fault. That's my, I have to take responsibility for that. I'm not doing a good job at, at showing them. I'm not doing a job at teaching them and I have to invest more time. Because what I'm picking out from your book is that the real job of a manager is to build the capability of their team members and not just, I hired you, now just go to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's funny. I, I think of oftentimes when, when you know, my my main area of focus is cultures of innovation and teams of you know, building this idea of, of a DNA of innovation within an organization. And there's often an animosity between the idea of innovation teams and management. And it's like, well, management, stop it, et cetera. And, and I think that's fundamentally flawed. We need a tension between leadership who looks towards the future and a management who manages the present and the past, because 
without the management, everything goes into chaos and management puts order on chaos, but you need to introduce new chaos. And I, and I think about this in the S-curve form as well, that if you just manage all the time, you're going to actually manage your company into decline because management is brilliant when we know the environment, when it's steady and stayed and it's predictable. But in this world of ultimate change, VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, we need to lean into the future. And that takes leadership because as Peter Drucker said, management is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things. Absolutely. Uh, Peter Drucker's the grandfather of management consulting. So uh, he had a lot of wisdom there. All right. So we've got phase one, which is the beginnings. Phase two is, is, is launching sort of the beta version of things, the trial and error. Can you tell us more yeah. about that, please, Aidan? So, so put yourself back into the organization. You've pitched an idea. Management goes, okay, kid, you got a chance. So you get your idea, you put out your minimal viable product. All of a sudden, you're testing the marketplace. Say, for example, you're in an organization and you go, okay, I'm going to trial this with some willing customers. So a few customers goes, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. Might be some software, might be some type of diagnostic tool, whatever. And I introduce it. And what I'm doing here is exploring, is there a gap in the market for my product? Is there a desire from customers? Rather than wondering about it, rather than running focus groups, I get it out there, I get it in their hands, I start testing it. And that leads then nicely to whether or not I proceed, which is phase three. Right. And, and so some, do you think some organizations wait too long to perfect their new product before launching it with, uh, you know, to the market? Absolutely. I, I've, I've made this mistake myself. I worked in digital transformation for a media company for almost a decade. And I used to do these surveys. And I was like, who better to ask, for example, for a feature in our apps than the app users? And it was like, if I had um, a playlist selection tool in the app, would you use it? You know, and you might get, if you're lucky, 100 respondents, and they're like, absolutely sounds great. And you're like, going, okay, well, I'll put it out there. And barely anybody used it. And there's a great, a great study actually that was done, a fast food company over in the States, and they wanted to test, should we put salads on our menu? So they spent millions on research to find out, should we do this? They then put out different types of salads all over the menu. People came in and they didn't order them. And the question sometimes I ask in my workshop is what could they have done? So what they could have done was put it on the menu first, then got all the different branches to see who asks for what, what salads are people asking for? So then Nina comes along, asks for the ranch dressing salad. And I go, I'm so sorry, we don't, we're out of ranch dressing salad. Actually, we have no salads. Let me give you a free milkshake or an order of your choice because you're actually saving me all that money on focus groups. So I take what's called, uh, instead of, of um, data that's that's from people which declared data i'm that's taking right. experiential data it's a very different approach exactly and and for some people it's it's um they think they they want it you say do you want it and they'll say yes because oh well it's free it's available but they it's it's only when you actually observe real human behavior that that you can track the 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 validity of that uh of that result yeah absolutely Ex 
so that so that that helps then uh, to to validate phase two. You you find out yeah. do I have people who are going to use my product, and that that leads nicely to phase three. If there is, and I find out yes, people are into this. More and more customers are asking for this product. Then I've moved from hmm, is there a gap in the market to yes, there's a market in the gap, and I proceed. I put more energy behind it. The all of a sudden. The leader of the organization, she says to you, hey, kid, you've done it. You've got us a new product. Well done. Let me give in loads of resources to you. And sometimes here's the difficulty. If you're an innovator or change maker within an organization, sometimes you feel, hey, that's my baby. I brought it to life. I brought it to the organization. But again, sometimes you need to let that go because this can be the difference between a leader and a manager as well. That person is often inspired by the new product getting into the marketplace. They don't want to manage it once it's there. And this is why a lot of startup founders leave their organization after a while. It's the buzz of the beginning rather than actually the stagnant feeling of managing it when it's out there. So you hand it back to the organization and the organization then takes it over because you're going to need them. They have any mix of logistics, marketing, funds, existing customers that can bring that baby to life. Otherwise, it could just be stillborn. Right, right. So um, you talk about the success trap. At what point can can the success trap slip in? Is it at phase three or or phase four? So I, I would say a kind of a mix. And, and the success trap is, um, so you're in Australia, and forgive me for saying this, there's a beautiful New Zealand rugby mantra <laughs> that's uh, remember your losses more than your wins. And That's the idea right. here is that that so you celebrate your victories, yes, but you remember your losses more than wins. Why? Because you can learn more from them. And we often stumble into the success trap. And as you say in the book, sometimes our our victories lead to our losses because we become blinded by the success. And we figured out something. We figured out a way to succeed. And this happens in life. This happens in careers as well. And then when we're in that mindset, sometimes we become defensive and we block new ideas, new concepts. We block sometimes people's suggestions because we're like kind of going, no, that's not how you do it. But the world, we have to realize, has moved on and the world has changed. Ideas that may not have worked or may not have been possible 10 years ago could now be possible. So we need to be careful of that because there's a a mental issue here as well. So there's a, a, a way your brain works where it's called the Einstellung effect, a German term. Right. And Einstellung is this idea of fixedness. So when my brain figures out a mental pathway to create something, it could be typing, for example. And actually, Everett Rogers mentions this in The Diffusion of Innovations. The keyboard most of us have on our keyboards is called the QWERTY keyboard. So the first six keys, the first six letters are Q-W-E-R-T-Y. This is interesting. The QWERTY keyboard was designed for typewriters. It was designed to slow down typists so the keys would not get jammed as you hit the different keys. So it's actually designed to slow down typing. And we've got a different tool now. Yeah, we're on a different tool. Despite being on a different tool, the QWERTY keyboard remains and persists because most people are used for it. But here's the interesting thing, Nina, in the other keyboard called a Vorjak keyboard, 
D-V-O-R-A-K exists, but nobody will adopt it because of the switching cost, the mental switching cost of that. Now, here's the, here's the other thing. I have gone to lengths, and please, if any of your listeners know where I can find a Vorjak keyboard, you can change the, the software in your computer. You can change to a Vorjak keyboard layout, but you need to change the keys. So the only way to actually do that is on, I have a beautiful Mac here. I'll have to buy little letters and stick them over and change my keyboard layout oh. and then learn that new layout. And it's an interesting thing because once we figured out the QWERTY way of doing things, it's difficult. It will take, just like you said, with those managers in the early days for myself, I'll have to actually train myself a new way of doing things. And most people won't go back to go forward. And this is a key point in the S-curve. Most S-curve jumps need a step backwards in order to jump forwards. And most times organizations or individuals are not willing to do that. And this goes back to your point about when do I start feeling the winds of failure or the winds of decline or threats of yes. the <clears throat> changes in the ecosystem at the back of my neck? Oh, uh, so much in that, what you've just said. And, and just thinking about the keyboard to shift. If, if you've learned um, touch typing, you've actually got kinesthetic memory and you don't even consciously think about which letters you're typing. Or And I, I actually put in 40 hours in one week to make the critical path leap to become a touch typist, and I did. I don't think I oh, want to put in another 40 hours to learn yeah. another keyboard. Because not, not only do you have to put in the other 40 hours, you have to unlearn what you did, and that's the difficulty. That's the step backwards that's yeah. required in order but, to spring forwards. But I, I, you've, you've now put up a bit of a challenge, so maybe in the next holiday I'll have a little bit of a go. <laughs> but I think what you're saying with phase four is that because you have experienced success, you're, you, you then cultivate, accidentally cultivate, a fear of trying something new in case it doesn't succeed and it might get in the way of the success you've already got and it becomes a vicious downward spiral, not a good thing. Exactly. And, and if you think about this in an organization, so a leader of an organization is usually managing the present based on decisions made in the past. And actually, they've got there based on the ways things were, not their vision of the future. So they didn't get the job based on what they think the business should be. It's like, well, you need to still give us our return on investment, still deliver to stakeholders and shareholders if they exist. And that's very difficult for managers to look towards the future. I often think about this in a sports context, Nina, because if you think about uh, a sports coach, usually they're brought in and they're measured on results this season, this coming season. That's right. And what they do then is why would they invest their time and energy in an academy, the future beyond them, because they're measured on the present. And this is very difficult because oftentimes you come into a new organization as a leader, you have to do some restructuring as well. Some people in the organization may not be fit for that organization anymore. Some of them, and, and this is often seen as a bad thing, but if somebody's not progressing in their career in an organization, I genuinely feel sometimes they need the push because they're stuck and, and they're, no, they're not serving themselves very well or the organization because they become almost like these negative cells within the organization 
And if you think of the organization as an organism, as a, as a person, a corporate body, right. they become these kind of negative cells inside the body and they, they drag it back and they delay it and they waste energy, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, back to your point about phase four, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phase four is this point of you manage things really well, your optimization. It's a management thing. So leadership then is a very different thing. And maybe you want to talk about phase five and six. Yes, absolutely. Um, time's marching on. <laughs> and we, 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 I can see that we can really do a deep dive in each of the phases. But uh, let's go to phase five, which is stagnation, as I understand it. Yeah, so this is, this is, and, and let's be honest, people are listening to the show, think about things, there are somewhere along your portfolio as a, of S curves in your life, there's somewhere that's stagnating. It well, that's be, the plateau, you know, right? You come up, yes. the S, up the steep curve, and then you hit the top of the S. But that's it, it's plateauing. And yeah, if you're not continuing to go up, you eventually go down. Exactly. And, and actually, this is very useful in personal life. So it could be your relationship. It could be um, you're not no longer putting any energy into that. And and I often think about the the idea of if you think of a, a cup of coffee, right? And the cup of coffee goes cold. Mm. What do we do? Right. So obviously you might make a new cup of coffee, but to make that cup of coffee energized again, you put it in the microwave and then the cells bash together. So you, you put some energy into it and it becomes hot again. So the, all the cells bang or all the atoms bang together and all of a sudden your coffee's hot again. And everything gets to this point of decline. So we have to put new energy into it. And that's where we get out of phase five and into phase six. And five six is jumping the S curve. <laughs> yes. So just just to map this back to what we were talking about. So Nina's Nina relearning how to type with a Vorjak keyboard is jumping an S curve. It's right. I've I'm brilliant at this. I'm great at uh, touch typing. I can nail it on a QWERTY keyboard. But now Aiden said, "Here's this new thing that can give me another twenty percent boost." Okay. But that will require a step backwards in order to jump forwards. And if you think of the S curve back to the letter S, the S curve jumping to a new S curve does not happen at the top or the decline phase. It happens somewhere between three and four. Why? Because when I'm in a point of growth, think about this, when things are going well, I'm going to be way more tolerant of failures in the bid to succeed, in the failures in the bid to experiment, to bring in new ideas, innovate, etc., than I would be if I'm in a decline phase. Because in the decline phase, when an organization is encountered uh, turbulent times, um, a burning platform, their brain changes. So the brain state changes. And here's the thing, and I don't know if I said this in the book, Nina. When you're in fight or flight mode, 
the part of your brain responsible for decision making, your your that brilliant part of our brain, the the forebrain, the 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 frontal cortex. Yeah. And cortex is this beautiful word. It just means uh, shell. So this frontal shell, and that diverts blood from there. So your body diverts blood from there in its wisdom to your fists for fight and your feet for flight. So you become less intelligent. Your decision making is flawed. You become reactive, not responsive. And this is what happens in an organizational level because an organization is just a mass of individuals. So decision making becomes flawed. You're less tolerant of failures. Somebody makes a mistake and all of a sudden you're going to be uh, not tolerant of those mistakes. Sometimes you might let people go because you're kind of going, Nina's come with these ideas. Three of them haven't worked before. Now go back further down the S-curve. I'm in growth phase where my product's really taken off. Nina's the one who brought me those ideas in the first place, these new ideas. And Nina comes with new ideas and I'm going to go, great, Nina. And you go, look, not all of them are going to work out that way. And you're going, you, you, you know, try 10 and give me one more of these when we're doing so well. Brilliant. But then fast forward to a point of decline or when the organization's in trouble, that's not going to happen. And that's the key to jump in an S-curve. Do it when times are good. And there's a brilliant Spartan mantra. The more you sweat in times of peace, the less you bleed in war. And I can oh, say this. That is so true. <laughs> because when, when there's stagnation or decay or decline, um, there's urgency then. And, and, and you're not, not um, thriving, you're surviving. Whereas at least if you experiment when things are going well, well, you, you you can take up the slack. You can you can absorb the uh, the misplace, but there is the potential that it will actually take off. In fact, I believe venture capitalists ta- uh, take the opinion that they'll invest in ten things. Maybe only one will take off, but it will really bring back a return on their investment. So they don't have to worry about the other nine that that just kind of are a bit average or mediocre. Yeah. Exactly. And it goes for you as an individual as well in your career is that the way I think about it is organizations, COVID showed us, the pandemic showed us this, that you, you, things are going great for you and all of a sudden they're not. And it came out of the blue, right? So yes, we knew for a long time, many people have been saying there's a pandemic going to happen at some stage. We did Again, like the disruption that happens to us, we don't know when it's going to happen. A company could all of a sudden something happen and it's some crisis, some catastrophe, and all of a sudden has to let go a large portion of the workforce. Changing things are happening quicker and quicker. So build capabilities before you need them. Do this when you personally are in a time of growth and abundance. Mm-hmm. Take on new stretch assignments learn new things we have no excuse anymore to learn including maybe just reading maybe it's starting a podcast maybe it's writing build capabilities because you will not never know how beautifully they will pay you back in the future in ways that you just cannot imagine and the the great way to think about it is if the rug is pulled from under your feet there's another rug under there waiting for you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's very good. You know, I was thinking about the fact about COVID and how it's forced many organisations where their their turnover has collapsed. They've had to let people go, and they were. Do you think they were forced to shift from phase three straight to phase six, and they were able to actually skip steps four and five? Well, some organisations. What happened was this great point. 
if you think of the there's two there's there's several movements going on so in an organization jack welsh the the famed ceo passed away recently uh, of general electric said that the speed of change on the outside exceeds the speed of change on the inside the end is near mm-hmm. and what he was talking about if the organization moves at a certain pace but the environment the business environment moves at a different pace and customer desires are changing uh, the marketplace changes it's becoming more digital whatever it is and we're still moving at our pace within the organization then we're in danger but the other thing is there's another layer to that so there's the organization there's the environment and then there's the individuals within the organization because if you can't harness their energy through a collective vision etc they're not going to actually really work on anything to be able to match what they're doing with the environment and it's very difficult to keep up with the changes in the environment and if you think about the s curves like you identified and map what happened with covid covid was like this restructuring of the tectonic plates of the of the business environment yeah. things changed there's a there's a a movie and i can't remember the name of it you may help me uh, leonardo dicaprio yeah. um and and uh it's about lucid dreaming and the environment in totally changes do you know the movie i'm talking about i do i, I can't think of it yeah beautiful nina yeah inception right so in in, in this movie inception i've got the, a copy the, of it <laughs> yeah brilliant brilliant well you know when when the environment and this isn't a spoiler for anybody don't worry about yeah. it in it the environment changes so roads will fold up and structures will change landscapes will change i see covid like that so covid right. did that to the business yes. environment so all of a sudden it was like i was in my room in lockdown and then i went out and everything looks the same but it's entirely different and that suited so many companies like zoom where we're connecting today the environment accelerated them. It was an accelerant for so many digital businesses, for those organizations who had built capability before they needed. For us, your podcast, for example, you have a beautiful studio here. That is so useful for your virtual delivery. And because you had built the capability through podcasting, through doing interviews like this, you're a way better virtual facilitator as a result. Your setup was better, your microphone, your sound, your lighting, your camera. All those things are because you build capability before you need them. And that's one of the ultimate messages of the book yeah. is that people do that and don't wait for the disruption. Don't wait for the inception moments in order to make the changes that you right. are in control of. And you do talk about return on capability, ROC. Can Just in closing, can you maybe explain a little bit about that, please, Aidan? Yeah, so so you mentioned um, the VCs, for example, the venture capitalists. They'll you know one in ten. If if it even is one in ten, maybe it's one in twenty or more right. of the bets they make. So it's almost like they decided decide which horses are running in the race, and then they bet on them all, and they go, okay, one of them is going to win, and that winnings will actually pay for everything else. Right. If you think about that with small experiments in your life, if it's an individual or an organization. What you're going to do is some of those attempts to jump to a new curve. Say, for example, you try your QWERTY keyboard, the Dvorak keyboard experiment, and it do, it does you, you don't it doesn't take. So you try to do it. You're going to learn something in that, and 
This is return on capability. One of the great examples I talk about in the book, and it's a beautiful example, is that of the Amazon Fire Phone. So yes. Amazon wanted to launch this device, the Fire Phone. At the time, to put it in context, Samsung weren't even in the marketplace. And the iPhone was just taken off. So they, they were like, let's get this out there. I spoke to the, I through an email exchange, spoke to the, the product designer who was in charge of product lead, a guy called Ian Freed. He was in charge of the Fire Phone. And ultimately, the phone failed. It was a $170 million write-off for Amazon. Now, the question I ask is, what would you have done if you were Jeff Bezos? What would you have done with Ian Freed? Would you have been disappointed? Would you have let him go? What would you have done? And the answer is, Jeff Bezos told him, you do not lose a night's sleep over this. Why? Because Freed, because of job mobility within Amazon, was working on two products. The other product he was working on was, the, was called the Smart Speaker Project. It was called Echo. We know Echo today as Alexa, but here's the interesting fact about Alexa. Alexa came from the ashes of, excuse the pun, of the Fire Phone because they had built voice capability into the Fire Phone and Freed, because he had job mobility, was like going, why don't we put this into the smart speaker and see what happens? And that's what happens when you jump to a new curve, when you have a connected organization, when you have job mobility, when you have communication flow throughout an organization where people can go, hey, have you thought, you know, this thing that was working on over in sector 7G, why don't you look at that? And then like everybody starts connecting dots. And then you have an orchestrator who sees all these things and go, you should talk to Nina Sunday over in sector 7A. She's working on something that might be interesting. And then things start to connect. And then rather than being these silos, you become like a beehive where the cells all work together to have a greater good. And the Fire Phone is a great example of return on capability. Yes, I didn't get the result I expected, but I learned a lot of things in the way. You were a great example of return on capability. You're podcasting, then COVID comes along, mm. and you've built capability through the podcasting that you can use for virtual delivery. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Aidan. Um, that's a, and that's a very good example with the Amazon uh, f- uh, Fire Phone. If I am a, uh, a an individual contributor in an organisation with perhaps a manager that doesn't ha- have the foresight to want to build my capability, what can I do to kind of uh, either encourage them or to uh, inspire the organisation to give me? more, uh, just to challenge me more so I grow and can, can take the next step to, to promotion. So there's, um, this often comes up in my own workshops or keynotes when people ask questions, they're like kind of going, you can see them, they're kind of going into quiet contemplation, kind of going, oh, <laughs> so what if I have not done anything here? And I reply with the beautiful Chinese proverb, which is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. But the second best time is right now. That's it's right. today. That's right. And I think this is important to if I'm a, if I'm a manager of a team of people, what I need to do is give them reflective time. So if you're, for example, an organization that's contemplating a four day work week, I wouldn't be going and paying for five days and go, you know, take the fifth day off. What about making that into 
an experiment day or a learning day. And it doesn't have to be a full day. It could be half a day. It could be you have a book club. It could be you have an experiment idea that somebody works on. It's a side gig that they work on on the Friday. Something like this just instills this new culture. And the important thing is by you leading it as a manager or a leader within an organization or CEO, it's top down. Then what's important is when you start to talk about this on a regular basis, you bring it up at every meeting. Idea of the week comes from Sector 7C. Jenny in Sector 7C had this idea. That's not something we're going to build in. It's something we're going to take away. Some process that we've been doing for years that we couldn't spot because we're so used to it because it's always been the way things have been done around here. She suggested that we've got rid of it. You know how much time it saved the organization? We've done the math. 200 hours a year have been saved, and that equates to X amount of dollars. And you know what? Instead of actually giving you more work to fill there, we're going to give you time to experiment more, see what else you can bring to the organization. And when you start to recognize and then reward people based on their new ideas, even when they don't work out, then you start to change the culture little by little and you get an organization that becomes undisruptable. That is a fabulous suggestion. And I think Google was doing that for a while. If they, I don't know if they still do it, where uh, uh, team members were allowed to spend 10% of their time on a project of their own choice. Because if you hire capable people, they're smart and they want a, a creative uh, a thread in their life, not just just working for the dollar. <laughs> Look, yeah, and Aiden, it's- how can people find you? Do you work with people around the world? Uh, I know you're based in Ireland, but um, how can people work with you if they're not in Ireland? Yeah, so like you, I, I mean, I've, I've benefited hugely from the return on capability of the studio setup. Uh, virtual delivery from here from my studio. I deliver all over the world. Uh, time is, is, I manage the time well. I know you're in Australia. It's a totally different time zone. Um, you can find me on the innovationshow.io, which is the show that I host. Many listeners are in Australia. Uh, you can find me mostly on LinkedIn. I have a weekly article that I write every week based on these ideas we talked about today. Lots of stuff that I read, like you, Nina read a book a week. I'm not as a prolific or fast a reader as you are, but um, I try to, I think it's just a wonderful way to learn. It's it's like an ongoing MBA. You get to read the book, interview the author, and then write about it, edit the show. I insist on editing it myself because I get another, another swipe at the cherry in That's order right. to get more learning from it. So it's a wonderful way, but probably best way is on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you'll find Aidan McCullen at uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it'll also the co- contact details will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, so much, Aidan. I've I've been so looking forward to this conversation, and we've done a deep dive dive, and I've had the the extremely beneficial opportunity to ask you my questions as if it was a book club. Oh, thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thank you, Nina. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.